All right. I think, I think that's all the announcements I had today. Let me just test this out real quick. He's risen. He's risen indeed. So, so, so we can do, there's so much room to improve. He's risen. He's risen indeed. All right. All right. You got a little breath behind that one. All right. Are you ready to get into work? Can we do that now? Is that cool? All right. All right. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you for this, uh, for this morning. Lord, we thank you that uh, though we long to be with you in heaven, the fact that you woke us up this morning and put breath into our lungs means you have something for us. So, Father, allow us to meet our purpose today. Father, we know that the only way we meet our purpose today, the only way we get even closer to perfection, the only way we get closer to the day of, of, the, of our resurrection, Lord, is by listening and discerning your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that in this time, you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have to say to us, not the distractions to our left or to our right, but only your words, Father. I pray that not a single one of us would leave this place this morning without knowing full well that the God of the universe and the creator of all things has spoken directly and intimately to us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all who believe say, Amen. bless up. Our text, our text this morning, if you want to meet me there, is in the Gospel of John. If you have your physical Bibles with you, go ahead and get that. If your children are occupying your electronic devices and so you don't have those either, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 2, and we'll be reading just a few verses this morning together, starting in verse 13. When you got it, say, I got it. I got it. When you got it, say, he got up. Got up. All right, a few of you are there. The rest of you, come with me. Here it goes. John chapter 2, verse 13 says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeon, and the money changers sitting there. So making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's in Isaiah. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I want to tag this text this morning, when you see it. When you see it. And what I'm not talking about, but I'm fully going to talk about for a moment, is uh, the internet memes, when you see it. Anybody ever have those, right? It's a, it's a mind trick. Uh, it's a mind trick off of the idea that whenever you look at something one way 
and then somebody points out to you that it's actually another or that there is another way of looking at it, you can't unsee that. I can't tell you how many conversations, no, not yet. I can't tell you how many conversations, it's okay. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my wife where she has said, have you ever noticed? And I know that whenever she starts a sentence with, have you ever noticed? The answer, by the way, is always no, because no, I never noticed that before. But now that you point that out, I can't get it out of my head. He does look like Jafar from Aladdin. You're right. Oh, my goodness. There are these memes that go around the Internet, and it says, when you see it, right? You can put the first one up there. This, when you see it at a glancing view, looks like a nice family photo. Anybody see it? I'll give you a tip. You can see it better on this screen than that screen because that screen is starting to fade. But this one, you can see it. Do you see it? If you look under the person's brown pants, you'll see a face. There's somebody. They're all sitting on somebody. There's a face right next to that green pillow. Now look away from the picture and look back at the picture. You went straight to that face, didn't you? You can't unsee it. Do it again. Let's do, the, do another one. Okay. Nice wedding photo. Do you see it? Man, you got, you got where is Waldo in the top right corner. <laughs> Photobombing somebody's nice, memorable wedding moment. First of all, that guy is hilarious. I want to hang out with him. Second of all, you can't unsee it. There's no way you can ever look at this picture again and not see Waldo. Can we do one more? I got you. Business leadership and digital innovation for future graduated. A seminar with Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft Corporation. Anybody see it? My guy Steve Ballmer, CEO of Microsoft Corporation, is using an Apple computer for his presentation. You didn't see it before, but now you can't unsee it. See, the people from Microsoft want you to think it's one way, but behind the curtain, it's actually another, and you can't unsee that now. All of you, throw your Microsoft devices away, because behind the Microsoft devices are actually Apple devices. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Unless you feel it in your heart, then go crazy. I did. But the point is, sometimes you don't see things a particular way until all of a sudden it's pointed out to you, and then you can't unsee it. Jesus, in this passage, is calling out the fact to the religious leaders, look, you see this situation one way. You see the temple, which is my father's house. You see the dwelling place of the Lord one way. But I'm here to point out to you that it's actually another way. And when you experience it, you can never unsee it. 
to understand what Jesus is doing in this passage, we must understand the importance of the temple in the first place. The temple, the Jews believed for centuries, that this was the literal and physical dwelling place of God. You would go to the temple to ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done. You would go to the temple to pray and hopefully hear from the Lord. You would go to the temple to worship and to give praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. The temple was where the Lord was on earth. And so if you wanted, for whatever reason, to be in the Lord's presence, you had to go to the temple. That was a firmly held belief. So when Jesus is walking during this feast, he's required as a Jewish man to go to the temple. And when he gets there, he cannot believe what he's seeing. When he gets there, he is so enraged by what he sees that he is driven not to an emotional response, but to a deliberate action of justice. He takes the time to make a whip. I don't know if any of you in here are good with your hands like that, where you can just whip up a whip. But I imagine that it takes a little bit of time. And so Jesus had enough time to make a whole whip that he would actually use, and he was still upset. You ever gotten so mad at something and then walked away from it because I got to calm down and then you can come back to the situation much more calm? Wasn't no calm in Jesus right then. What he sees is he sees people who found the temple to be marketable. He said, people have to go here People worship here. People think that this is where you go to to get better. Yeah, we can market this. We can make money off of this. And so what they did was they set up these booths. They said, to offer a sacrifice, to be forgiven, you need an animal. I'll sell you the animal right here within the walls. Imagine not being inconvenienced to get the animal yourself. Come to the temple and you can just buy it from us. But only particular currency is good inside this temple. We don't want any of that stuff with Caesar's face on it. We don't want any of that stuff with the Greek gods on it. We want only local currency. Oh, you don't have local currency because that's incredibly inconvenient? That's okay. We've got money changer table right here. And for a small fee, you can change your coins out for the local currency that we accept. It was all a ploy. To make marketable what was supposed to be a gathering place of God. Jeremiah talks about this in chapter 7. Jeremiah talks about this and he says, he says, yeah, I see you. I see you calling out Yahweh, Yahweh. I see you gathering to worship Yahweh. You're calling out the right name. You're going to the right place. But you are nothing more than a robber in the den. 
Because when you go outside these walls, you're not living like you just called out the name of Yahweh. You're calling the right name, but you're not living by the right name. You're in the right gathering place, but you ain't living in community outside of that. You've got half of the right idea, but Jeremiah reminds you, I know how you've been living outside of the temple. You're not living like you go to the temple however often you go. And Jeremiah warns, he says, yeah, keep on living that way. He says, keep on living that way, and you're going to drag us all to hell. You keep living that way, you're dragging this whole city to hell. But go crazy. Keep living that way. Jesus sees nothing's changed. It might look a little different, but nothing's changed. These people aren't there to worship God. These people aren't there to pray. These people aren't there to cleanse their spirits. They're there to make a buck. They're there to do a religious duty and check a box. They've completely changed the intent of what the Father's house was supposed to be. And I don't have time this morning, for your sakes, I don't have time this morning to, 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 to point out all the things we've done to the Father's house. I don't have time to point out all the ways we've made it a marketable place. I don't have time to tell you all the ways that we've institutionalized the church. I don't have time to tell you all the ways we act like going to church on Sunday morning on Easter is going to make all the things we did okay. I don't have time to point out all the ways that we think if we're sick, we go to the church and we'll feel better, but it doesn't impact our lives anywhere outside of that. I don't have time to point out all those things. I got to let you get there on your own because I have somewhere else to go. No, when I read this, that was the easy reading. That was the casual reading. When I read this and actually prayed on it, what the Lord showed me was about the response of the religious leaders. Jesus comes in and starts flipping tables. Jesus comes in and starts whipping animals. Jesus comes in and starts driving out people, yelling at them, get out, get out. But their response was so interesting to me. Because if you'll notice, the religious leaders did not acknowledge that Jesus was wrong. They didn't say, hey, we're not doing anything bad in here. They didn't say that because they knew they were. They didn't say, why are you doing this? Because they knew he was completely justified in his anger. Instead, what they said was, Show me that you have the authority to call this stuff out. Nah, you're going to have to prove that to me. You're going to come in here and expose me like that? I'm not letting you get away with this. You got to show me that you have the authority to say the things that you say. I think the reality is we all do the exact same things when we feel God start rooting around in our lives. Yeah. Right? We know better. We know the things. We know the story. We, we feel conviction. God starts rooting around in our lives, and we want to serve him like he should have some papers. Nah, Jesus, you can't go looking in that part of my life. You're going to need a warrant for that. Ouch. 
I know my rights. I know the rights to myself. You are going to need a warrant to start talking and touching that part of my life. We treat Jesus like he just wants to pick out the bad parts of our life. We treat Jesus like he just wants to expose us. We treat Jesus like he just wants to pull out our dirty laundry and make us feel bad. But the reality is Jesus isn't rooting around in our lives to make us feel bad. Jesus isn't rooting around in our lives to condemn us. Jesus is rooting around in our lives to, to take down the barrier that are between us and him. Jesus isn't rooting around in the temple because he's mad that he's not getting a cut. Jesus starts flipping tables in the temple because all of that is a barrier to, between somebody who is there to authentically worship and actually being able to worship the living God. I can't help but notice all the ways that people are calling out the, the capital C church right now. Because the church has done so much to put barriers between people who feel righteous conviction in their heart and a God who seems so unrelatable. There are things that we have built up in our lives that put barriers between us and him. There are things that we found more important then checking in with him. There are things that we have looked to for guidance that aren't him. There are things that we have fully given ourselves into that prevent us from being able to feel him. And then as a natural byproduct of that, we then begin to put barriers between us and other people. Because I don't want God rooting through that stuff. I dang sure don't want you calling it out. I don't want God exposing what's really in my heart. I absolutely hate it that you feel like you can do it on your Facebook status. But Jesus isn't trying to just expose us. Jesus isn't trying to root around in your business. Jesus is trying to get rid of all the stuff that's between you and him. That's what he's trying to do. And his response when they serve him, when they're like, yo, you can't just, uh-uh, you can't just, you're going to have to clean this up. You made a mess in my store. Like, what's up? On what authority do you even come in here? This is what Jesus says. It says, show us. He said, all right, I will. Destroy this temple. And I'll build it in three days. See, now they, now they think he's just all the way lost his mind. Because the temple that they were standing in had taken them 46 years to get to that point. And can I tell you something else? They weren't done. It was still under construction. It was like 62. It's just eternally under construction. Why is it still only four lanes? I'm telling you. They thought that he had all the way lost his ever-loving mind. Because they're like, it took us 46 years to get to this point. We ain't going to be done for about another 14 years. And you say, if we destroy it, you're just going to put it back up in three days. By yourself. I always read this passage wrong until this week. I always read it as Jesus said, I'm going to tear down the temple and build it up in three days. But that's not what he said. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. 
Jesus knows. Let me leave you up to your own actions. And you're going to destroy this on your own. Let me leave you up to exactly as you were. Let me not interfere and root around in your life. Let me just let you do what your brilliant finite mind has in its, in its center to do. And you're going to destroy this on your own. And when you do, I'll rebuild it in three days. You know how I know that's what Jesus meant? Because Jesus left them up to their own actions. Jesus let the religious leaders live. He didn't condemn them on the spot. He didn't send them to Gehenna or no crazy place like that. Jesus said, I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let you keep doing what you're doing. And you know what they did? They killed him about a week later. Let me leave you up to your own actions, your own hates, your own desires, your own need to be right is going to destroy this temple. He's talking about himself. They would go on to kill him nearly a week later because of the very actions that drove them to turn the temple into a marketplace. He says, you do the first part, but watch what I do with the second part. He said, you're going to take this temple down. You're going to destroy me, but I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back up. You and your actions will take it down, but I will pick it back up. Left up to us, absent of a relationship with Christ, we will destroy whatever it is that we're so desperate to build in our lives. Without consulting Jesus, I promise you, whatever it is that you have put as a priority over building your relationship with God, it will get destroyed. We can't help ourselves. Our own greed will eventually get in the way. Our own selfishness will eventually get in the way. Whatever it is that we try to build absent of God will eventually get destroyed. But the promise that Jesus gives even to the religious leaders is, I'll raise you up. Come to me, call on me, rock with me, I'll raise you up. Eventually, your business will be destroyed. Jesus says, I'll raise you up. Maybe your relationships are already destroyed. Jesus says, call on me, I'll raise you up. Maybe your family is destroyed. Jesus says, I'll raise you up. Maybe your dreams have just been destroyed. Jesus says, I'll raise you up. Maybe you are watching the slow death and destruction of your community. Jesus says, call on me, I'll raise you up. Whatever it is, absent of God, left up to ourselves, we will destroy it. And if we don't, the rest of the world will because they can't stand to see us win. But Jesus says, don't worry about that because I will raise you up. Maybe your bank account, you looked at it this morning and you're like, it's already destroyed. Jesus says, I, don't, I can't promise nothing about that number, but I'll raise you up. 
Maybe you got homeowner problems and on your way out this morning, you realize the washing machine still ain't working. So you had to wear not pastel colors this morning. Jesus says, don't worry. I can't promise about, about Whirlpool, but I'll raise you up. Yeah, yeah I'm only saying it because that's literally us this morning. It's gray, it's, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> whatever it is in our lives, that we're trying to do. Jesus says, I will raise you up. Verse 22. This might be my favorite part of this whole passage. Verse 22 says, when therefore he was raised from the dead. So fast forward in the story. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus rose from the dead, all of a sudden, the disciples looked back at all these interactions with Jesus, at all these things that he had told them, all these things that they had watched him do, and they saw it differently. Because they realized he really was who he said he was. I mean, imagine that. If somebody that you spent so much time with was put on trial and you watched helplessly as they were unjustly accused and then they were taken off for days to be tortured beaten and mistreated and then the next time you got to see that person they were being drugged through the streets where people who don't know him like that were spitting on him people who have no idea the things that they were even saying are cursing at him and then the best view you got of him since when you saw him on trial was when he was hung up Bloodied, beaten, and naked for the world to mock. And you watch him for hours as he slowly dies. You watch as the storm rolls in. Soldiers take that body down, throw it in a hole, and put a big old rock to make sure ain't nobody getting in, ain't nobody coming out. And then the next time you see him, three days later, he's sitting on the shore making you breakfast. I bet you don't see things the same no more. I bet a few things change. I bet you don't smell fish the same way either. I bet there are things that you remember that used to make you feel defeated, and now you get to celebrate a victory. I bet you remember when you were broken. I bet you remember when you were hurt. I bet you remember when you were defeated and now you're not. I bet you see things a little differently. The beautiful thing about the resurrection of the dead, the beautiful thing about Jesus getting up out of what was supposed to be his final resting place is that now when we see it, we can't un see it 
when you experience Jesus bringing something in your life that was dead back to life, you realize that your life was always revolving around him. That all the things he was doing was always about him. That all the mistakes you made were always about him. And that all the work you will now do is always about him. You can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. My hope, my hope for us as a people, for us as a, as a church, is that now that we can't unsee it, now that we realize all of this has always been about Jesus, he was never talking about brick and mortar. My hope is that now that we see it differently, it will compel us to live differently. It was never about brick and mortar. It's interesting that Jesus said, I will rebuild the temple. But, when, but he was talking about himself, and when he rebuilt it, those who saw him resurrected didn't rush back to preach it in the temple he previously drove people out of. What they did instead was they went into the streets. They went into people's homes. They went into communities that weren't theirs. And they preached about this resurrection that takes things that you thought were dead and brings them back to life. My hope is that we can begin to live differently because the reality is if we let absent of God, if we let ourselves control Third Street, we'll destroy it. Jesus is not poking holes in what we do and in who we are because he's nosy and he wants to condemn us. Jesus knows that left up to us, our own selfishness is going to get in the way. It's like there's, there's a spirit of divisiveness that is causing a barrier between my people. There are whiffs, just, just slight little scents of racism in some of our oldest institutions that are causing my people to worship separately and are causing a whole lot of people to give up on this place in general. Jesus says, I see, I'm flipping over right now the table of comparison. I see you looking at other people's lives to see what they're doing. I see you asking nosy body questions about what they're doing because you're insecure about what you're doing. And there's a barrier between you and the person you're comparing yourself to. And therefore, there's a barrier between you and the truth that God wants to speak to you. Jesus is trying to drive out all of the barriers by Jesus getting up and rolling away an unrollawayable stone. He's eliminating yet another barrier between us and him. Jesus' intent is to drive out all of the barriers. Jesus 
wants to drive out those barriers so he can begin to rebuild the temple on earth so that he can begin to bring his people back together so that he can begin to have a place that provides the hope that our city needs so that he can begin to build a people and a community where people feel safe and they can come to be healed. And the only way that this happens is when all of us begin to live in light of what we've already seen, which is the resurrection of the dead. Where in your life right now, what's the barrier in your life right now that you need to let Jesus drive out? What's the barrier in your life that right now that you need to let Jesus drive out? Knowing full well what he's trying to rebuild in you is so much more beautiful than what you could build in 46 years. Because when other people see it in you, when other people see what Jesus has done in you, they can't unsee it. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that the words that hit us from your spirit would stick. And Lord, anything we picked up that is not from you would fall away in Jesus' name. God, I pray in this time that you would, that you would convict us of the barriers that while we, yes, call the right name, while we, yes, gather in the right place, we still are holding on to these walls that prevent us from being closer with you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us to let those things go right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that this time we would begin to rejoice. We would get to celebrate because because of the resurrection, because Jesus got up, we no longer have to suffer separate from you. We no longer have to suffer under the oppression of walls that we put there. Lord, I pray that as we leave this space and go out into our community, that we would feel free to show the world what it is that you've done inside of us. Because we know, just like it happened in us, just like it happened in John, when the world experiences the resurrection of the dead in us, they can't unsee it. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, bless up.